Hey, sports fans, you're tuned into the Emerald City Fandom Podcast. We're Seattle fans talking Seattle sports. We're your hosts. I'm Connor Fredrickson. And I'm Sam Hoganson. You ready to get started? Let's send it. Welcome back to the pod, folks. This is episode 11. And Sam, after a tumultuous tumultuous week for scheduling for the Huskies, we do have a football game to talk about tomorrow. So that is cause for celebration. What are you sipping on this evening, sir? Well, I had a nice little pre-podcast fire in my backyard. Awesome. And, you know, I actually probably need to caveat the first beverage i'm sipping sipping on here it's from <laughs> Nincasi brewing company which i generally try to avoid because it is from the devil territory of it eugene, eugene oregon yep. they have decent so, beer though i will say i generally try to stay away from supporting anything related to eugene but <laughs> the marketing did did follow through and catch my eye it is their seasonal release winter ale and it's called slayer but it's not spelled like the rock band it's spelled like santa slay slayer so i was like okay that's great really punny so i had to get it put my college allegiance aside and then my backup beer i have an elysian night owl pumpkin ale excellent good choices yeah i'm in that fall wintry mood i suppose so it's perfect. It's perfect. So far, so good. What are you sipping on? Yeah. Uh, I was talking to Sam earlier about this. I was texting him earlier today, but was at Total Wine earlier and picking up some Christmas goodies for a couple of our relatives, Katie and I, and um, found myself in the single malt scotch aisle. So decided to pick up a bottle of single malt scotch. So I am... Nothing fancy here, but I'm I'm sipping on some Highland Queen Majesty um, single malt Scotch whiskey. So Burgundy cask finish. It's pretty uh pretty smoky, pretty oaky, little nutty, but I think that's perfect. So that's it's a good sipper. Treating me well right I love, now. I love when that happens when you roll into the single malt Scotch aisle and you're looking around and you're like, oh. Can't afford that. Yeah. Can't afford that oh, one either. Looking there down was a lot towards... of that. There <laughs> was down. a lot of that. <laughs> I'm going to start at the bottom shelf. I was <laughs> not only bottom shelf, I'm looking for the big stickers that say for sale, for sale, major sale here. Like, <laughs> so this, this happened to be on sale and was definitely in my price range here. Good bang for your buck though. I guess you, you said it tastes pretty good. So yeah, it's solid. So it's, it's not bad. I had never had it before. So I'm, I'm okay with my choice at this point. Nice, nice. Um, so yeah, we do have an opponent, and we are going to be playing Utah this week. And the Utes are coming off their first game against USC, um, and they they played a lot, kind of like us in the first game. A lot of kind of some sloppiness and some missed assignments, and typically a uh, Typically a good team here, though, in Utah. Kyle Whittingham is one of the best coaches in the Pac-12 and um, has been at Utah for a very long time, ever since they've been a part of the 
the pack. He's been there and he was even there, I think a little bit before that too. Yeah. If you can, if you can believe it, he's actually the coach that took over for urban Meyer. Mm -hmm. Urban Meyer had that amazing year with Alex Smith as his quarterback at university of Utah. And then he bolted to university of Florida before he then left to go to university or Ohio state university and obviously won national championships at both of those schools. But yeah, mm-hmm. Whittingham, I don't have the exact tenure in front of me, but he's for sure, you know, the, the longest tenured Pac-12 coach. He's been there for a long time. Yeah. So, and obviously the class of, of the Pac-12 when it comes to coaching um, and, and a good program, they're, they're coming off last year they were the pac-12 south champions um and went to the pac-12 title game but lost to oregon ended up losing i think to texas or something like that in the alamo bowl i think yeah or something think like so. it was it was a team from the big 12 i think it was texas but i can't remember um but yeah a team that we've we've actually had some pretty good luck against our our record against utah historically is 12 and 2 but i wouldn't have guessed that would you have sam like i I just remember a bunch of close games with Utah over the past, you know, decade or so that they've been in the Pac-12. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't have guessed that either. Um, pretty shocking, to be honest. Yeah. And yeah. obviously, having lost last year means we were twelve and one going into that game. And right, just again to to repeat your sentiment there, while we've come out on the right side of these games more often than not. I would like to see the margin of victory in our games yeah. against Utah in the last, I mean, through all of the Chris Peterson era, I don't think we ever beat them by more than two scores. I don't know. Yeah, there was, there was Maybe one once. year at home. Wasn't the, it was the year after 20, I think it was that 2017 year. I think we beat them pretty good. I'll look at it. Hold on. <clears throat> Yeah, but I mean, most of our games have been real. Oh, no, that one know. we only won by three. Yeah, twenty eighteen. I think they've been really close. They've been nail biters, defensive matchups, and I think, in large part, the reason why our games against Utah have been so close is we're really very similar programs, and for sure, Whittingham and Peterson staff, and with you know Jimmy Lake carrying a lot of Coach Pete's quote-unquote secret sauce forward into this season you know we'll get into the more details on what to expect on the utah side but just based on how this matchup has gone down in recent memory it's hard to really feel confident that this game is going to go lopsided one way or the other they're just hard fought well coached teams time of possession running the ball play really solid defense and generally these games have been decided by the turnover margin turnover battle. And the Huskies have been fortunate in recent years to come out on top in that category and in the win loss category. But yeah, Utah is a really solid program and kind of have mixed emotions going into this game. And I know we'll get into more of the details on that in a bit. Yeah. And obviously just most excited just to have an opponent this this saturday and to have a game after apple cup being canceled mentioned earlier just a tumultuous week for 
Husky fans waiting to see who our opponent was going to be this week. And if there was going to be an opponent, there was a little bit of doubt that it would even happen. Um, but Jen Cohen, obviously credit to her and credit the, the Utah AD too. Um, I can't remember his name, but um, credit, credit those, those administrations and staffs for getting a game scheduled on the, on getting a game on the schedule and getting these teams coordinated to to play this saturday um games at 4 30 p.m on on saturday the 28th on abc so that's prime time kickoff on the east coast as well so that's that's a big time slot for us to be in um and might not be as sexy of a matchup as maybe in years past with we don't really know what to ex- expect from this utah team but nonetheless two storied programs from from the Pac-12 in a in a big matchup this Saturday. Sam, did you want to talk I mean I know that we're we're going to get into this um the nuts and bolts of this Utah team and in, in this game in general on Saturday, but I know that you obviously had some strong feelings about playing BYU and I don't know if you just had some final thoughts on on that whole fiasco and or if you just wanted to skip past it at this point it's kind of water under the bridge no, at I this think, point let's no i think we should definitely touch on it and make sure that we really hammer byu into the ground on this one because they sure look like fools idiots yeah. on this end because again if you didn't listen to our last episode episode 10 go back and check it out your boy got a little bit fired up there at the end talking about the prospects of playing byu who is the media's darling, so to speak, their Cinderella story of the season, they're nine and zero, but they haven't played anybody. And so with them having an open game slot and us having our Apple cup game canceled, it kind of seemed like an obvious fit. And ultimately, and again, whether we find out the real story at some point or not, not too difficult to read between the tea leaves on this one. <laughs> BYU did not want yeah. to play UW. I will. I will unless say unless they need. Unless I will they say it to. was mostly the athletic administration. I think that didn't want to play UW. I don't know if that's the case with the coaches and the players. Uh, you're giving BYU coaches and players a little bit. Probably. Too much I will credit. say that head the, coach the, came the coach out came out with some bullshit comments, though. I will say, like, but aside from the fact that. Yeah if whether or not they wanted to play us or not, there were some bullshit comments in his little interview that they had after the the rankings were released on Tuesday. Yeah. And so speaking of the rankings, the whole thought process was BYU being nine and oh, they're obviously shooting for a new year, six bowl Mm -hmm. bid. And with their only remaining scheduled game being against San Diego state, they don't really have an opportunity to strengthen their schedule. And they were kind of playing the waiting game, hoping that they would be ranked in the top 12 to get into one of those New Year's six. And really goals. probably needed to be in like the top 10 to feel like okay yeah. about it. Yeah. And so basically from an outsider's perspective, they wanted to slow play UW. And I feel, <clears throat> I feel like on the BYU side, they were going to play the waiting game and see if they were ranked inside the top 10 then they would feel no need to play UW and not schedule the game. Mm-hmm. But if they were outside of the top 10 or top 12, 
then I think they would have been more willing to consider playing us because they need to prove themselves. Yeah. Well, they kind of got caught with their pants down. They waited too long. We moved on, scheduled the game with Utah. Rankings come out, and they're number 14. So they can Yikes. more or less at this point kiss their you know major bowl season aspirations goodbye mm. because they'll get you know passed up by other power five conference teams that have a stronger strength of schedule and end the season on a higher note. So that's about all, all I'll say on that. I guess that's not true. I will say one more thing about their head coach's comments. It basically, here's how that interview went. Mm-hmm. So BYU head coach, tell us about your, your thoughts on the rest of the season. Oh, we're not afraid of Washington. And then the reporter says, uh, I didn't ask that. <laughs> we didn't ask you that. No, no, no. We're not afraid of Washington. We're not. We're not afraid of Washington. We'd play them. Again, I didn't ask. It was very obvious that he was overcompensating for something. So they're scared. They didn't want to play us. They had a PR nightmare this week. Yeah, it was bad. So long story short, we're playing the other team from Utah who actually, in my opinion, better team from Utah is the better team from Utah. They walk the walk and talk the talk. BYU, not so much. For sure. And we actually have respect for Utah's program. Much oh, less absolutely. BYU. Absolutely. So. Yeah, for sure. So let's dig into this game a little bit. Um, let's first touch on, I guess, depth chart. There's not much to talk about from a UW standpoint. No changes from, from last game against Arizona. Uh, the two things that I will note, and Sam, you might have a little bit more to say about this or not, but there's really conflicting reports on the health of Thule and Leatu Latu to see if we're going to actually see them at all in a Husky uniform this year. I've heard um, that Latu is in a, is in a cast or something like that, or had a brace on his arm in, yeah. on the sidelines last week. And I, I've heard reports that Thule was in a boot. So obviously not typically a good sign there. Um, I've also heard that Thule could be back any game. So I don't know. There's just some conflicting reports. It seems like Latu's season's probably at least done. But Thule, there's a little bit of mixed mixed reports. I'm not sure if you've heard anything else, though. No, I've pretty much heard the same thing. It's definitely an arm injury for Latu and a leg injury for Thule. And yeah. from what I have gathered, it sounds like Thule is potentially a more minor injury mm-hmm. in relation mm-hmm. to Latu's. But, you know... I guess if I had to pick which of the two I would want back, I would prefer to have Thule. I mean, ZTF has stepped in and been the premier pass rusher in the Pac-12, filling in for Latu's absence. So Mm -hmm. if Thule's trending that way, I would love to see him play. But again, kind of what you were alluding to at this point, I'm not expecting to see either of them suit up in 2020. If they do, it would be a, a great surprise and a cherry on top to what's turning out to so far be pretty exciting Husky football season. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. And um, kind of bouncing off of what you said, I I, th- I I agree. I would I would rather see Thule suit up by the end of the year if that's going to happen. I think the only way that he su- suits up is if we end up on a big run and possibly in a position to be in the Pac-12 title game which we should touch on something in a second here too, before we really get into the Utah game. Hell yeah. Um, but uh, before we get to that, uh, Thule, I think I, I feel better 
about the depth at that outside linebacker position. And I'm more excited about that depth, especially with just some of, you know, you got Savelle Smalls there, possibly a big time impact freshman. You got experience with Ryan Bowman, ZTF has come on, come on strong. Um, I, I feel better about that group than I do about the defensive uh, linemen as far as like the defensive tackles. Um, Sam Taimani's played well. Josiah, I thought, played a lot better. And even, I mean, even Tuatele had a pretty good, pretty good play last yep. last game against Arizona on a fourth and run one. So he's showing a little bit of something too. I know that we were really kind of hard on him. I know you were particularly hard on him after that Oregon State State game. Right. So hopefully he can. We're gonna need him. I mean, I hope I hope he's gonna be able to develop into a but good solid rotational piece for us because obviously we can't rely on only three guys at that at that defensive tackle position, we're going to need, we're going to need a fourth or fifth guy to step up. Right. And then the same breath, Jacob Bandez played yep. really well against Arizona as well. So yep. there's definitely some depth coming along there, but not quite as proven as our outside linebacker depth at this point. No doubt. So let's talk a little bit about, um, landscape. Do, do we, yeah, do we, let's, let's touch on that first. So big news tonight, guys. And um, I'm going to try to set this up for Sam, but um, <laughs> what, what season is it right now? Quack, quack, quack. <laughs> Running season, baby. It's not even, it's not even fuck organ week, but it is civil war week. And man, massive credit to Sapardo, your boy. Hell yeah. And, Oregon State pulling off the upset against Oregon in that uh, I guess it's not called the Civil War anymore. I'm sorry. I probably got too far ahead of myself. It's, it's called something else now because they don't want to call it the Civil War because of all the... I heard, yeah, I heard rumors that they were going to rename it to like the Platypus Bowl oh, or something. God, That's awful. I don't know if that's accurate. Anyway, um, big big win for Oregon state and Jonathan Smith in that program down there in Corvallis against a 15th ranked Oregon team. We'll have, we'll have plenty to talk about in future weeks about Oregon, but I think, I think this is a combination of two things. I think Oregon has been overhyped. Their defense is awful. Really, really bad. They gave up 226 yards. I think it was to Jermar Jefferson tonight, which yeah. obviously he's a, he's a load like he is a legit back i think there's no doubt in my mind that he's the pac-12 uh he's the best uh runner in the pac-12 running back in the pac-12 hands down at this point easily um so he's i mean he's he is oregon state's offense for the most part um and had a huge game against oregon and oregon could not stop him even though they knew that that's where the ball was going so i think i think th- but like I said, I think this is a combination of two things. I think Oregon, Oregon's overhyped and their defense was so bad. They were probably never going to run the table because no. I mean, they, they almost lost to a UCLA team with a backup quarterback last week um, and gave up 35 points in that game too. So obviously struggled. And then I also think Oregon state just isn't getting the love that they probably deserve. I think they're a better team. Sam, you've alluded to it and, previous episodes especially after we played the beavers that i think they're a more solid team than a lot of the countries given them credit for and jonathan smith's got got an up and 
up and coming program down there. I think he's building something cool. Um, and it's all, it's going to be all about if he can, you know, stick with the rest of the conference when it comes to recruiting, it's hard to recruit to Corvallis a lot of the times, but, um, he's definitely developing players. So he's got that part, that part nailed down. It seems like. Yeah, for sure. And I think looking back to our game against Oregon state and the success that the Beavers had running the ball against our defense, you know, I think a lot of us were quick to hit the panic button on well, How is Oregon state, you know, running it down our throats like they are. Well, as a team, they carried the ball 44 times, 269 yards, averaged 6.1 yards per carry for four touchdowns against Oregon. Mm -hmm. This team can run the ball. Yeah. And so I look back at that game and like, sure, we could have played better defense in some of those drives where Oregon State really pounded the rock, but they're doing it against other teams as well. And to your point earlier, I think that this Oregon State team is a lot more competitive than we even initially gave them credit for. And yeah, hats off to Jonathan Smith. I think, you know, we're all rooting for him, a coach Pete disciple himself, and he's at his alma mater doing some pretty special things at a place that's hard to sustain success. And to your point, you know, recruiting to Corvallis is a hard thing to do, but one of the things that we've seen Jonathan Smith welcome with, know, open arms that coach Pete necessarily didn't do at UW is the transfer portal. And you've seen Oregon state really increase their talent level, pulling in some of these transfers like a Tajon Lindsay or, you know, Addison gums on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. They have a few on the defensive side of the ball. So it'll be interesting to see how things shake out for them, but nonetheless, always happy to see the ducks get a heavy dose of humble pie and, well, I prefer that the dogs are the ones serving it. Second best is is their in-state rival. So I'm, no I'm always a big-time Beavers fan when it comes to this game. So Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, as much as we are happy about the result tonight, you could, you could argue and take a step back and say that it probably actually wasn't the best thing in the long run for, for UW as far as just strength of schedule going forward. Um, Oregon was definitely the best, best team on our schedule at the beginning of the year and still probably is at this point. We don't really know, I guess, how the rest of the conference is going to shake out. And everything was kind of leading up to possibly two undefeated teams playing each other in that week six of our schedule matchup on the 12th, I think, of December. Yep. Um, and that's not the case anymore. And at the same time, now, even though Oregon has lost this game, if they win next week, and even if we win out, we still need to beat them in that final final week in order for us to win the Pac-12 North. So as far as the landscape of things for us, it doesn't change much, I would say. It definitely doesn't do us any favors as far as strength of schedule. Um, the one thing I guess that you could say is that we could drop a game in theory over the next two weeks right? and still have a chance at winning the North if we beat Oregon in that final week. But I mean, I think both Sam and I obviously will get into this Utah game here in a second, but 
Sam and I think that if if we were to lose the next one of the next two games, we'd be pretty disappointed at that result too. So, um, nonetheless, I I think we should focus on the positives and. Uh, a losing week for Oregon is typically always a very good week for for a dog fan. So pick your battles here. And again, weird year. And you can kiss any kind of CFP, you know, hopes and dreams away at this point because there's no chance that a Pac-12 team gets into the college football playoff now um, with, with this Oregon loss. And it was slim at best before before tonight but i there's there's just no way at this point even if usc was to run the table they're not going to beat anyone for them to be able to establish a good enough resume so yeah no i agree i'm just gonna take it for what it is and it's a ducks loss put them back to the seller of the pac-12 yep and i'll call myself a, a happy boy <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it all right, so let's let's actually I've been teasing it for so long, talk about this Utah team a little bit. And um they have some they have some they have an interesting team. I a lot of I mean a, a lot of turnover from last year um is the biggest note I would say as far as just like a broad perspective on this team. Um Kyle Whittingham is again is a is a really good coach, so they're always going to be a well coached team. But a a team this year that you that is a lot different from prior years as in terms of experience and particularly on the on the defensive side of the side of the ball. I think they only return about two or three starters from last year, or two or three guys that actually had significant roles and significant snaps um, on last year. So. Nonetheless, uh, there's definitely talent on this team. And like we said, it's a, it's a well-coached team. So um, I don't think this is a team that UW should just be looking at and, you know, poo-pooing or looking past them and looking ahead to other games. They need to be focusing in on this game. I think one of the things that I talked to you earlier, Sam, off mic was that the biggest worry I think I have for this game is that UW doesn't come emotionally invested into it just because of all the weird, it's been such a weird week. I, I, I don't think that will happen. I think Jimmy is so ingrained into these guys' head and has obviously really embraced what 2020 is and had a, a, a positive outlook about it that, you know, take this next opportunity and make the most of it. Because like we said, you're never, never promised another, you're going to face adversity throughout this entire year. It's all going to be all about how you respond and overcome that adversity. So again, kind of an adverse week for UW from a scheduling standpoint. And I just want to make sure they're in the right mindset when it comes to game time and they're not looking ahead to other games or looking at this as a missed opportunity to play a top 10, 15 team in BYU and putting their name on the map in that way. This is a legit power five opponent in Utah. And if you come, come to the field with that, that attitude, you're going to get your face smashed in because Kyle Whittingham will take advantage of that. No doubt. He's a good enough coach to make his players realize if we're going to have that kind of attitude. So um, just want to preface any of our conversation on around Utah's players and their, their team with 
with that that that's my biggest worry i'd say going into this game yeah i think it'll be something to definitely tune into i think it poses another really good measuring example for the job that coach lake is doing so far if he's able to kind of weather that storm of the media hype and getting really bought into this potential of you know dethroning byu season or whatnot and then you know this Utah team is coming off of a loss against USC. They didn't mm-hmm. look very great in their first game. So to right. Connor's point, there is opportunity for some sort of looking past or let down. It's not this great team. It's not the Utah teams we've seen in the past. Coach Lake needs to get these guys out of that mental frame and come ready to play because Utah will be there waiting for us come the cost of the flip of the coin and they're going to be coming after us the whole game. I think the other point I want to put out there before we dive into the individual employee, uh, individual players to call out here on the Utah side is the fact that last week's game against, uh, against USC was Utah's first game of the yep. season. And none of us felt all warm and fuzzy about the way the Huskies looked against Oregon state I think there's something to be said in this weird delayed COVID season that we made a huge step of progress from game one to game two. I know they're battling some injuries and they still have young players on the Utah side, but I'm expecting them to look more polished, you know, got the cobwebs off a little bit in that first game. I think we're going to see a better Utah team. Mm-hmm. all around a little bit more polished they had five turnovers in the usc game i think yeah. they'll kind of get that under wraps a little bit better against not us. Tip, not not typical of a kyle Whittingham team to turn the ball over that much so no not at all so i, I do anticipate that utah will come to play as they always do mm-hmm. i think to my point in their second game of the season they'll be a little bit more polished have some of their jitters out but to what i was alluding to earlier they will be playing the game with their second string quarterback. Yep. Yeah. And so let's talk about him. And uh, as Sam said, it's, it's their second stringer. So they're the guy that won the quarterback job out of camp got hurt. I think in the first quarter last week against USC about yep. seven, eight minutes into the game. And that was cam rising and, I, I read some articles going into the year about their quarterback battle um, and some of the things that um, Whittingham had to say about, about the quarterback battle. And he hinted very strongly that there was, they didn't, they, they played it a lot like UW and didn't really reveal the starter until game week. Um, but he, he, he did say that there was a clear leader. And so it does seem like there's quite a step back from what they were thinking they had in Cam Rising to this Jake Bentley kid. Not, uh, however, I will say that this Jake Bentley is a grad transfer from South Carolina. And if he has anything going for him, it's game experience. And he played a lot for South Carolina for a couple of seasons. He, he started for them. And um, that was back in 2017 and 2018, 2019. He, I think got injured in the first game and didn't 
didn't play. It was he was out for the rest of the year. But just for just for uh, perspective here, 2018, his numbers were 240 for 388. Um, as far as his his passing attempts to to completions or completions to attempts, I should say. Um, for almost 3,200 yards and 27 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, which is a pretty solid year in the SEC. Um, and so, this isn't this isn't a guy that's like new to the scene. This isn't you know Dylan Morris at the beginning of the year, as far as just game experience. This guy's been there, and he's done it relatively successfully at a at a high level for a power another Power Five program. So um, I don't think you can look past Jake Bentley. He did struggle last week. Uh, he had he was only 16 for 28 for 171 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. But I don't think you can really look at that as a true indicator of probably his play. It's a little unfair to judge him, I think, by that performance, mainly because he came into a game cold didn't get starter reps throughout the week in practice, probably played actually a lot of, you know, the other QB kind of like role, not like scout team, but like was against the first team defense probably and right. playing kind of like the, the uh, USC offense type type role as far as his game planning. So he didn't ne- get nearly the, the same preparation that their starter would have gotten, um, came into the game cold. And like Sam said, it's it's the first time out for all these guys. So I think there was a little bit of rust for everyone out there. So I would I would I would presume that Jake Bentley is going to have a, a cleaner game, and at least like from a preparation standpoint. Yeah, for sure. I will say he's going to be coming up a pretty against a pretty formidable defense here, and we'll yeah. talk about as far yeah. as like keys to the game here um, and how that impacts Jake Bentley, but. Um, uh, I, th- I think a solid quarterback for them and, and for, for having to replace um, who was their guy last year? Tyler it Huntley was Tyler Huntley. Yeah. So a, a seasoned and w- very good quarterback and had a really good year an efficient year more than anything, like a very yep. efficient quarterback, which is what they look for typically in a Kyle Whittingham offense. They look for an efficient quarterback. He's not going to overwhelm you with numbers or, go off like rushing for a bunch of yards or anything like that but they look for a a clean formidable game kind of almost like a game manager role yeah. from their quarterback and good, Jake good Bentley Jake, making yeah Jake Bentley could definitely fill that fill that role I think for them um we have a few wide receivers on this list that we want to look out some of those guys that Jake Bentley's going to be targeting and these guys are legit and I know that you have a few things to say about some of these guys, Sam. So I'll let you take the reins on, on this position group. Yeah, absolutely. And this is going to be Jake Bentley's best friend. And hopefully they, you know, as a, if you're a Utah Utes fan, hope that Jake Bentley and these wide receivers got a bunch of reps in this week, start to get on the same page a bit more, but they've got two really big physical wide receivers one of them, their name is going to sound really familiar. He wears number 45. He's a senior, 6'3", 195 pounds, which I honestly feel like 195 is maybe a little bit light. He's a big dude. Yeah. It's, his name is Samson Nakua, the older brother of yours truly, Puka Nakua. Mm-hmm. And 
last year he scored four touchdowns this last week against USC. He had three receptions for 30 yards, a touchdown. He's just one of those guys that seems to win a really important jump ball at the right time in the game. He's a really physical matchup and poses a mismatch to a lot of the DBs. I don't know that I feel that way against the UW DBs. We have some (laughs) length of our own back there. So that'll be a really physical battle, a fun one to watch for sure. And then they're, they're likely their go-to receiver out wide as their junior. He wears number one, six, two, two Oh seven. So again, big bodied guy, Brian Thompson. Last year, he averaged almost 26 yards per catch. Big Big play play guy, big play game breaker. He had kind of a quiet game last week with only two receptions for 48 yards, but I expect they'll, you know, similarly, similarly to the Huskies after our first game against Oregon state, Sean McGrew was running the ball really well, seemed to have the hot hand, but we didn't get him the ball enough or even a Puka Nakua in that game. We didn't get him that much, that many looks. Mm -hmm. We came back the second week and we made, for damn sure that we were getting the ball to those guys. Mm-hmm. I anticipate they'll make a concerned effort early in the game against us to get Brian Thompson the ball. So keep an eye out for number one on the Utah offense. And then little guy, where's number 18? Connor, I'll let you <laughs> tell us your feelings about this guy. This guy's got to be like 35 years old at this point. Britton Covey's I mean, been there forever. He looks 40, that's for yeah. sure. And so this guy came into the Utah program at, in 2015 and then out sat out 2016 and 17 when he went on his mission. Yep. He's a Mormon, so he went on his mission for two years and then came back in 2018 and had a really good year. He was good in 20, 2015 too, but um, he was hev- like heavily involved in their passing game as well as, as, as a punt returner. And ended up in 2018 with uh, 637 yards. He had 60 receptions that year. So definitely very high, highly targeted guy out of the slot. Um, he only had one touchdown, but he was, he was really kind of a between the twenties guy for them. Like he was kind of their mainstay target and mainstay of their offense back, back in 2018. Yeah. Think um, of like a Wes Welker. Right. Yeah, that's a good comparison. He also, I mean, he, he's also a gadget guy for them, though. He had 21 rushes for 172 yards. So they, they found ways to get him involved in the offense that wasn't necessarily just through the air and getting him the ball and in some space. And he was making some things happen for them back in 2018. Didn't yeah, he, ha- had, he, he had a great season in 2018, but you should tell him a little bit about <laughs> last time he and faced then, this dog defense. Yeah, and then he went up against... The, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, that was earlier in the season. That was our first Pac-12 game that season, I think, right, against Utah. He got smashed. And he had a rough one. Um, he he got completely dominated by Byron Murphy on a hit. And I think JoJo got him one time pretty good. That Yes, he did. But that, I mean, and he's obviously undersized. And so when he gets hit, he typically gets hit pretty hard if he's and Byron Murphy, I mean, laid a lick on him. If you have, if you don't, or if you can, go back and just just literally type into YouTube Byron Murphy, um, Britton Covey, and this is the hit will, that will pop up. 
And it is the best legal hit that you will see on a receiver, like possibly ever, as far as just like technique. It's perfect, not targeting. It's a hard hit. You could make an argument that maybe it's a hit against a defenseless receiver or whatever. Like there, there's can be those cries, but as far as like a, a legal, like non-targeting hit, but a hard physical hit, this was the definition of that. And Byron Murphy, there, there's, there's a reason he's playing on Sundays because he's a hell of a player for us. And that was just one, one example of that in that game. Yeah, for sure. I will tip my hat to Britton Covey though, because he showed the heart of a lion. He, he was getting up. smacked left and right. I mean, that was for yep. sure the biggest hit, but every time he touched the ball, yeah. he was getting punished in a big way. And he kept getting on some up. punt returns too, I think. Yeah. And it just seemed like he was going to have to crawl to the sideline, but sure as shit, he would stand up and got right up, hobble his way back to the huddle and play. But I mean, as much as it is fun reminiscing on just how physically (laughs) dominant we were in that game, he is a hell of a football player. And yeah, if he's healthy and there's questions about that because he didn't play against USC, but if he's healthy, he is, he can cause a lot of problems on in terms of defensive coverages and Mm -hmm. again what you alluded to you know in that middle part of the field he can cause some real issues so definitely have to keep our eye out for him and he's got a lot of experience like connor said he's 35 or 40 i don't know i can't keep up at this point (laughs) still has two years of eligibility so get used to britain covey running around but definitely keep your eye out for him because he can really make special things happen. But, but again, I think he might be hearing some footsteps from 2018 next, you know, tomorrow when he's going over the middle. So we'll see how that, how that PTSD works out for him. Yeah, for sure. And it'll be his first game back in a while. Cause he ended up getting injured in 2019 and redshirting. I think, I guess he did come back towards the end of the year, I think, and play a little bit. Yeah. He got so, four games. Yeah. So he did get his four games, but still took that red shirt last year, which is, Another indication why he's only a junior this year, but he's 35. I think he's actually 23, but he's 35. So pretty much he look, in he college looks, football years, he's 35. He looks 35 too. But anyway, that's another topic. Um, that being said, uh, as 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 good as their base of receivers is, their leading receiver last year that's coming back from 2019 is actually their tight end. And I don't know if that was a product of just last year's offense. So I don't know what, because he didn't really get um, a ton of targets in, in, in this last game against USC, but Brant, Brant Keith, is that how you, Keith, Keith? Don't look at me, man. Be careful with how you pronounce that. (laughs) Keith, uh, uh, it's K-U-I-T-H-E. Where's number 80? Where's number 80? We'll just call him number 80. That's safe, right? Yep. Number 80 for them. Tight end, uh, 6'2", 230. Didn't get a lot. He only had four receptions for 23 yards last 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 week against USC. But coming off a pretty big year for them, he had 34 receptions last year for 602 yards, six touchdowns. And he also, I don't know, I need to go back and look, look at some highlights of them last year, but he was involved in the running game too. Like, I don't know if they did some end arounds with him or not. 
but he's a he's he's an athletic freak though i mean he's he's a guy that can make some guys miss he had six rushes for 102 yards and three touchdowns so they obviously had some kind of special package for him in the running game didn't see it last week against usc but obviously keep an eye out for it because he's capable of that in 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 this game against uw um but yeah, a, a guy that obviously is super talented. He's only a junior too, um, so he's putting up these numbers as a sophomore. Um, and if he's able to replicate those numbers in some form of fashion in a shortened season, uh, I'd, I'd see him probably possibly leaving to the NFL um, this after this year if if he if he wants to and decides to. Um, I don't know if you have anything else to say about their tight end, Sam, but obviously a talented player. Yeah, definitely a talented player. Again, a little bit undersized compared to your prototypical NFL tight end. Mm -hmm. He's kind of in that H-back mold, 6'2", 230, but can obviously move. And again, as Connor alluded to, can factor into the running game. Speaking of which, the Utah Utes lost their workhorse running back to the NFL in Zach Moss. He was a stud. He's playing for the Buffalo Bills these days. And getting playing time for them too. Yeah, really good running back. He gave us some problems in the past. Mm -hmm. Seems like they're kind of in the same position as us, honestly, with their running back room right now where they have, you know, two or three formidable average, you know, adequate serviceable running backs. And then they've Mm -hmm. got a pretty promising freshman running back that wears number 22, just like us. Yeah, for sure. Um, And so the guys that are listed on their two deeps, are the guys that have game experience for them and Devin Brumfield and Jordan Wilmore. And um, they're, they kind of just remind me of a, a, an average pack 12 running back there. I wouldn't say there's anything that stands out about these guys. They'll rip off a run or two. Um, they're, they're solid formidable backs that will average, you know, anywhere from three and a half to four and a half yards per carry. Um, but the guy that really stood out to me was their true freshman. And like Sam said, number 22, Ty Jordan, he's 5'7", 200. So he's, 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 a, he's short in stature, but obviously kind of a thick guy at that, at that height and 200 pounds. And seems to be their go-to kind of like it, he, was, he was their main, like most explosive player on offense, I'd say, last week as far as just like um, the potential of plays. And uh, Kyle Whittingham called him out, I think, too, after uh, not in a bad way, called called his name out, though, in in his review of the USC game and said they should have gotten him involved in the offense a lot more similar to kind of Sean McGrew after the Oregon State game with with Jimmy Lake saying that we should have gone with the hot hand a little bit more. And as Sam said, I think this is going to be a little bit of a running back by committee. They don't really have anyone that's they have some guys with some experience, but they don't have a true bell cow pack and they don't have anyone that's really taken the reins on that. But as far as explosion and the guy that I'm the most worried about, it'd be this Ty Jordan kid, number 22. Um, and last week he had seven rushes for 32 yards and a reception for 21 yards, but that doesn't really tell the full story. Just anytime he had the ball, it looked like he was going to make a play and he made a couple guys miss pretty much every time he touched the ball really fast you know it kind of reminds me of sam a little bit is 
his freshman year, Jesse Callier, whenever we were at UW. Oh, nice throwback. So just super fast. Like that's, that's the biggest thing about this guy's speed. Um, and obviously their biggest home run threat at that running back position, but based on his week last week and obviously a freshman year. So I don't think they were going to probably give him the bulk of the carries in his first week anyway, but with how he performed last week, I would definitely look at him getting more involved in their offense in some kind of way. And I'd look at some screen passes heading his direction um, or they have some weird kind of motions. They got him involved in last week that got, that ended up, he ended up with the ball in some of those plays. So um, they probably have some gadget plays for, for Ty Jordan and definitely need to keep our eyes on him and be aware of him when he's on the field, because I'd say probably if he's on the field, he's not there for pass protection. He's there to probably get the ball. So, you know, 75, 80% of the time that he's, he's going to be on the field, they're going to be going his way. So we just need to be aware of him when he's on the field. Yeah, for sure. And just kind of wrapping up our thoughts on this offense, you know, Jake Bentley coming in, this will be his first game starting and he's got weapons to use and utilize and no he's wide receivers, tight end, running back. So it's an offense that I think has some playmakers and we'll have to keep our eyes on them and play some disciplined defense and make sure that we keep the ball in front of us and try to limit any big plays. And then obviously the recipe to beating this team as USC showed last week is take the ball away. So we'll be looking for our defense to mm-hmm. get some hands on the ball and, and try to tilt the, tilt the game our way in that way. But again, talking about Kyle Whittingham and just the staying power that he has had at the university of Utah, it really has leaned heavily on the defensive side of the ball and Mm-hmm. they've got a lot of turnover there and they've got some younger players filling in there, particularly in the defensive backfield, but how Whittingham always puts out a good defense. And again, after knocking off some of the cobwebs in their first game, I kind of anticipate that, that this unit will polish a couple of things up and be a more formidable looking defense this week than they were last week. Yeah, and it all starts with their their uh, big playmaker from last year as far as the leader in tackles, leader in tackle for loss, their linebacker, junior Devin Lloyd, number zero. Um, definitely definitely kind of their in an inexperienced room on the defensive side of the ball. He's definitely their standout leader, even was last year, and they're their guy that's going to just fly to the ball. He's always kind of around it. Um, and he's got good size and he'll probably be playing at that X level. Even against USC last year, last week, he had 11 tackles for, and two of them were tackles for loss. And there weren't honestly, I guess, I mean, that's not true, but their defense didn't play that great last week, but he was one of the few guys that ended up actually putting up some decent, decent statistics. Um, just from a purely statistical standpoint. Also last year, he had six and a half sacks and, and an interception that was returned for a touchdown. So um, someone that just, he, he just makes plays. He's, he can get in the backfield and we need to make sure that we're, we're blocking him well and have our eyes on him. And, you know, 
that's that's where a guy like Luke, Luke Wattenberg and his new role at center needs to be making making sure he's making good line calls and especially if he's he's looking like he's going to be blitzing or if they have a they have a defensive scheme that it looks like he's going to be involved in trying to trying to pressure our quarterback um just need to make sure that we're we're keeping track of zero out there for sure and he had a big game last week against usc showed no signs of rust Mm -hmm. 11 tackles two tackles for loss so definitely number zero he's going to be out there running around with his hair on fire playing some physical utah ute brand of football that we're used to seeing yeah Another defensive end that can get after it is Mike Tafua, Micah Tafua, number 42, 6'3", 250. Again, another guy that can really get after the quarterback. Eight and a half tackles for loss, three sacks, four fumble recovered recoveries, one again yeah. for a touchdown. So you kind of get in the clue with this defense. They're a scoop and score defense as well. They're trying sure. to get the ball back or score. You hear our defensive coaches preach that. Utah has been really good at that in the past and he's, you know, picking up where he left off as well. He had a solid game, but really in that game game breaking position that we've seen a couple of former Utah Ute players make a huge impact is they have this interesting linebacker safety position where you've had someone like a Chad Hansen in the past play alongside, you know, Mm -hmm. Cody Barton, who's now with the Seahawks. Mm-hmm. make some real noise in that kind of hybrid linebacker safety position. And I don't know how to pronounce his name, but Nephi, Nephi, Nephi Sewell, number 29. He's, he's related to Penn. He's, he's, he's related to Penai and um, Noah. What's Noah. Yeah. He's their, he's their brother. Yeah. Well, he plays like it. He, you know, Last season, he didn't play a ton, but holy smokes. Against USC, he had 10 tackles, two for loss, interception, and a fumble recovery. Yeah, and one of those was for a touchdown. I can't remember if it was the interception or – I think it was the fumble recovery was for a touchdown. So, playmaker. Yeah, for sure. And, yeah, that's number 29. Definitely keep your eyes on him. Um, He has a safety number, and he was a safety, but he's converted – he's technically a converted linebacker now. Um, so that's how they describe him. He played a lot more safety though, against USC. I was noticing in, in highlights, he was deeper in coverage and kind of coming up to the line of scrimmage, like late. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think some of that was possibly just play calling from a USC standpoint, they're an air raid, air raid style offense. So they go, you know, four or five wide out a lot. Um, so they might've just had him as basically an extra defensive backs like again, but he he's, he's kind of a safety linebacker hybrid though. He's not, he's six foot two twenty five, So he's not typically, he's like, I mean, not even as big as Ben Burkirvan. Like he's, right. I think he's even smaller than him and Ben Burkirvan was an undersized linebacker. Um, but he's obviously someone with elite speed for a linebacker yep. and then, um, maybe, maybe a little bit, um, not quite as good in coverage though as a safe as as a true safety so um but they they tend to put him in in good places and he he succeeded in in his role in that usc game definitely their their biggest playmaker on defense so someone to keep your eyes on for sure yeah absolutely 
And so I think the the front seven is where this defense strong suit lies mm-hmm. for now. It's where yeah. a lot of their experience is. They returned some good players from last year. But this defensive backfield is really young. They have a true freshman corner who wears number eight, Clark Phillips the third. This is a he's I don't know the the true stats, but he's gotta be one of the biggest recruits that Utah has ever gotten. For sure. Because yep. He was all locked and signed, writ or not signed, but just about to sign to play at Ohio State, mm-hmm. and flipped his commitment at the last second to go to Utah. Clark Phillips the third, five ten, one ninety one. He had nine tackles last week, and he's a player. He's going to have freshman mistakes. He's an aggressive yep. player. We he might be, you know, susceptible to some double moves. We we saw UW try to do that a few times last week with Ty with Jones. Ty Jones, yep. And so That's there might be too. might be able to get some looks on that. But Clark Phillips is a good player. He's going to make plays in this game and keep an eye on him because I think he's likely to be a premier corner in the conference for the this year and the next three years. Yeah, for sure. He's like, I mean, like, like Sam said, one of the highest, if not the highest recruit in recent memory for Utah. Um, He was a top 50 national recruit out of LA or LA area, I should say. And like Sam said, he was was about to go to Ohio state and then flip to Utah at the last minute. So um, when you have, when you have Ohio state involved in the conversation, especially to the last minute for a guy's signature. Um, that's, that's typically someone that's, that's going to be making an impact on the field. So definitely keep your eyes on number eight, Clark Phillips, the third. Um, I will say he's, he's 5'10", 191, which is a fine size for a cornerback, I will say, in, in college. But with our size at receiver, there's some opportunities there as far as targeting him, not only because of his inexperience and maybe some double moves, especially, honestly, I mean, Ty Jones has been getting those looks, but I see Puka Nakua thriving in that type of role as far yeah. as just like getting behind the defense there. Or um, Jalen McMillan. Yeah, we'll talk about him. We'll talk about him. I promise him. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, but obviously a talented player and uh, he can, he, he will hold his own out there and obviously had a, had a decent week against USC, at least from a tackling perspective. I will say, I think he struggled a little bit in coverage, but that's expected from a true freshman in his first start. So we'll see how he grows in the second week. All right. Should we switch over and talk about some of our guys? Cause that's what we truly like to talk about. And some of the players that we're looking at possibly making an impact on this game, just from a matchup standpoint, as well as, you know, guys that we're just excited about and think that they're, they're a whisker away from really, becoming an, an impact player. Um, Sam, I don't know if you want to get us started on that. Uh, I know you had, you were just mentioning him. We can start off with Jalen McMillan if you want. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was pretty obvious that in our game plan last week that we wanted to take some shots down the field and the person we were targeting to take the top off the defense more than anyone was Jalen McMillan. Mm-hmm. And on a couple of replays of the game that we've watched he shows some elite speed at that position he was 
there's nothing fancy about it. He just was blowing past his defender and they couldn't flip their hips and run with him. And I anticipate that Utah is going to see that on film and try to keep somebody for the most, most part of the game over the top of him. But I was really impressed just to see that we haven't had a player like that probably since John Ross that can really yeah, just one-on-one just leave somebody in the dust like yeah. Jalen McMillan did. Now, obviously we didn't connect on any of those plays. That's yep. a combination of Dylan Morris has got to get his, his deep ball under control. He's mm-hmm. looking like Jake Locker out there overthrowing his guys. <laughs> I know we've, we've talked about that in the past. I don't want to go down that route because I think Dylan Morris has played admirably so far really well. Sure. Um, yep. But if there's, there's always room for improvement. And if we could connect on a couple of those long balls to Jalen McMillan, you know, I, I anticipate we're going to give it a shot again. We're going to test this young secondary of Utah. I anticipate mm-hmm. we'll see a similar game plan as we did last week against Arizona. We'll be deployed this week against Utah, test the young defensive backs. And Jalen McMillan's going to get his looks again. And I don't know about you, Connor, but I'm pretty optimistic that we're going to see a connection in this game. And I think it'll be a big play. Yeah. And I think Utah with, them being such a young secondary they're going to be extremely extremely susceptible to play action and that's a part of our offense that we've seen a little bit but i think we're going to see more of especially with us just being such a run heavy team so i think that's a prime prime instance to get jalen mcmillan the ball downfield and i think we do need to stretch the field a little bit more and actually connect on some of those long long plays downfield um, just because otherwise we're going to see all these defenses start to really pile guys in the box, kind of like Oregon state did. And we kind of struggled in some instances in that game um, in, in our offense, as far as just like staying on schedule. Um, So I'm hoping that we're able to kind of get, get the defense stretched out a little bit more the same time though, I will say, and Jalen McMillan can get involved in this instance as well. Utah's coverage with such a young secondary was really soft last week against USC. So there's going to be some opportunities, I think, for guys to make plays after the catch, like maybe get kind of a quick hitter outside or a short slant route or a short comebacker on the sidelines and see if they can do some run after the catch, which our receivers obviously can do. So I'd, I, I think that could be also a part of the game plan on offense this week. Um, and Jalen McMillan could definitely be one of the candidates to receive some of those, those underneath balls as well. Yeah, for sure. And it'll be interesting to see how this offensive scheme comes out. I mean, we've mm-hmm. seen two completely different game plans so far. Yeah. I'm hoping to see a little bit more what we saw against Arizona and yeah. see Dylan Morris continue making steps in the right direction, but offensively I, I anticipate we're going to be fairly balanced and we're going to take our shots downfield. Absolutely. But yep. the matchups that I'm looking at, and I think listeners can probably tell where we're, where we're going with some of these key players is we highlighted some offensive playmakers for Utah, and it's going to be a little bit of a test for this defense. And I think with these big wide receivers and, them utilizing their tight ends as much as they do. Got to look for somebody like Asa Turner to have a big game. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's, it's really that key that I, it, it, I'm, 
I'm basing it off of last year as far as just like their offense. They like to use their tight ends a lot. Um, I'm anticipating that again. I mean, they obviously have playmakers at that position. Their other tight end is a good player too. The father, fathering them dude, six four, two forty five, kind of a, tr- a a more true tight end uh, guy. But yeah, he's number. I'm not going to remember the name. What's his number? Number eighty nine. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think he actually ended up with more receptions than than Brant did last week. But obviously, you have some talent at that tight end position, um, and they have, again, like Sam said, they have a lot of uh, similarities to UW as far as just kind of like their talent, like where their talent level is, as far as um, where the talent on the team and those positions, and uh, Obviously, Utah has been a successful team and UW has been a successful team. So there's obviously a recipe for this stuff. But um, going back to, yeah, these tight ends, I think, are going to play a role in this game. And UW's had some struggles with some tight ends in the past. Um, and it'd be, it'd be nice to see someone with Asa Turner's size and ball skills get in some of those passing lanes, especially kind of those seam routes down the middle. And I look at him get getting either his hands on the ball um, from pass deflections or coming up and making some big hits on some of those guys over the middle. It'd be great. You're looking for another interception, aren't you, buddy? I'm also looking for another interception just because I I don't know why. That's like the statistic that I want the most, though. I don't know why. I just want to predict the most interception or interceptions with Asa Turner. I also called him to be like kind of the breakout player of the year. So I'm right. really, really high on Asa. Um, and I'll say like, I mean, thus far he's, he's been a little underwhelming as far as just his production and stats, but he did, he played a lot better last week. And I think he's starting to kind of come into his own. Um, and I think this is going to be a, a really big opportunity for him to display some of his, his skill set just because I think there's going to be passes thrown his way and there's going to be, um, plays going, going towards him. So. I look for Asa Turner to make an impact on this game for sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting to to see how many passes actually head his way because Utah's offensive line has some turnover and our boy ZTF has been getting after it. And I'm thinking that he's licking his chops, getting ready to eat for the third week in a row. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And well, while there is a lot of turnover, um, that's that's the biggest thing. And they and they did struggle last week. The offensive line struggled a lot against a an athletic team of of USC, yep. an athletic front, I should say, of USC, um, which we mimic that in a lot of ways. So uh, you could see that. I I also think they're they're probably going to improve quite a bit, like from last week, taking off some rust. That was their first game. Second game out, they'll they'll probably do a little bit better. I'm also also interested to see, I mean, ZTF has obviously put some huge game film over the last two weeks out to his opponents and future, future opponents. And obviously he's disruptive enough that he's going to cause some attention. So he's very likely to get some double teams. So does he, is he able to overcome that or does he open up some opportunities for some other guys as well? And obviously we're really high on, the true freshman Savelle Smalls and I see him possibly getting his first sack this week I know we called it last week but I think kind of the deeper we get into this the more ZTF is going to get like 
he's he's going to get uh, looks as far as from from an offensive line blocking perspective, and they're going to key in on him and get some double teams on on ZTF, and that's obviously going to open up some some rush lanes for other players as well. So I'm interested to see what Pete Kwiatkowski dials up this week against against this line. Um, uh, again, while while unproven, I think they're probably the most talented offensive line probably we've gone against this year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see, interesting to see what happens from that pass rush and where that comes from in this game for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, it is important to caveat that while they don't have the experience that they've had in the past, this offensive line is extremely physical, big bodied offensive line, all five starters weighing in at over 305 pounds. Yeah. So it will definitely be a test in terms of physical stature and physical ability, but they showed some weaknesses last week against USC. And I think we'll be well-equipped to take advantage of those again this week. And I think whether it's ZTF or to your point earlier, some, some new faces getting in on, on the sack party this season, uh, it will be for sure interesting to watch. And Again, going on the predictions episode, I did predict that Savelle would lead the team in sacks. He's got a lot of ground. <laughs> He's got a lot got of ground. Some... He does. Neither of us took CTF though, so it's not like either of us are, you know, looking looking great in that category. I don't even remember who I had. Did I have Bowman? No, I think you had Latu. That was before we. Knew oh, I had Latu. Oh, so shit. You, yeah, you I mean... get a you get a get out of free get out of jail free card on that one but do i get a little bit of credit because like ztf is taking over for a lot too or no probably no i think that's a dq it doesn't count damn it okay that's fair yeah i think savelle i'm I'm looking for him to kind of have a breakout performance so to speak he started to show some flashes last week He he had a couple of good you know rushes on the passer he had a great tackle right at the line of scrimmage where he just planted the running back face first in the ground which was Mm -hmm. awesome and threw a blocker on that too like that was an impressive play it was a physical play yep so i'm just excited to see what savelle does after he gets his first sack in a husky uniform oh man it's pretty fired up yeah for sure i'm yeah he's a fiery guy and i I love that kind of guy i to be fair, ZTF's been, I mean, he's all fired up out there too. So credit, all these guys are obviously excited to be out there playing football and, you know, getting a sack is obviously a big play. So they're all going to be excited, but ZTF's got a little bit of swag as well. I will say. Yeah, I'll go, I'll do the, I'll do another throwback for some of our older listeners here. When it comes to the sack, Ooh. nobody did it better than Deacon Jones. Ooh, nice. And he's actually the one that coined the term sacking the quarterback and he used to say sacking the quarterback was the best feeling in the world because it's like taking all the players on the offensive side of the ball and putting them in a bag and beating on the bag with a baseball bat <laughs> so i'm looking forward to Love seeing it. some more of that from our defense for sure yeah no doubt which, for- which i think is actually a great segue into a couple of our keys to the game yeah it's it. been the underlying theme and tone of our preview of the Utah offense and defense and what we're looking to see out of some of our key players to watch. But these matchups with Utah have been physical bloodbath type games, and we need to come out of the gates hot, high energy, excited to play and really match Utah's physicality. They're going to be well coached again. 
really similar playing style to UW. And, you know, in recent history, we've won that matchup and we've played this Mm -hmm. style of football more consistently and better than Utah has. And in order for us to come out on top, we're going to need to continue that trend and be the more physical team on Saturday for sure. Yeah. And that's, I think that's where it all starts. Um, And kind of going along those lines and going back to their quarterback and Jake Bentley, while he's experienced, he's prone to turning the ball over. And he had a couple interceptions last week. And the biggest thing that I see though, as far as a, a potential turnover opportunity is he tends to hold the, hold onto the ball a very long time in that pocket. And that could have been, I mean, I don't have a lot of game tape on him from South Carolina. I didn't go back and watch highlights of him in South Carolina, but at least last week he was really hanging in that pocket for a long time with the ball and took some sacks and with our ability to strip the quarterback and some sack opportunities, I'm seeing probably some strip sacks in this game. And obviously that's a, that's a game with ZTF's name written all over it. If he's able to get at the backfield. Um, so I think I, nonetheless, getting in Bentley's face is going to be key in this game. Um, he's obviously a, a seasoned quarterback that if he's, he's got time back there and he's able to sit back there and find an open receiver, which they have talented receivers, he's going to nickel and dime us no matter how good of a secondary you have, you can't be, you can't be covering for five, six seconds on every play. So we need to be getting that snap count to, to throw down to you know three seconds four seconds or so and getting pressure and getting bentley off his spots he's a pocket quarterback if he's moving around he's not really that great he's not super accurate when he's on the run he's not super mobile so if we get him off his spot and we're able to put some pressure on him put 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 some uh get some guys in his face he's gonna he's going to take some chances and possibly put the ball up for grabs. And hopefully we were able to take advantage of that. Obviously they turned the ball over five times last week. I think he was a part of four of those. Um, one of, one of those I think was on actually the freshman running back Ty, Ty Jordan. And it was kind of a weird handoff fumble situation. Um, Ty Jordan's obviously a shorter guy and Jake Bentley's a taller guy. The handoff was a little bit high, kind of hit him in the shoulders and he fumbled it. So that's, I, I chalked that mostly up to not getting reps. Um, but nonetheless, uh, a guy that is going to turn the ball over if he gets some pressure on him. And that obviously played a huge role in, in their loss to USC last week. If you look, if you go down the game stats of USC Utah, I mean, it's, it's a really even game aside from the scoreline, obviously 33 to 17 USC came out on top, but the big, the biggest things for them were, were uh, the turnovers, the five that they, they committed um, as well as third down efficiency. So um, the turnovers, I think is the, is the biggest thing though. And if we can win the turnover battle, I think that's going to go a long way towards us, us winning this game. And the key to that, I think is getting pressure on, on Jake Bentley. Yeah, absolutely. And again, coming off that game against USC, there's an opportunity there. There might be some low hanging fruit there in the turnover department. So I'm like you looking to see us take advantage of that for sure. And then on the offensive side of the ball, we kind of previewed it with our spotlight of Jalen McMillan. Mm -hmm. Really got to stretch the field on these guys, test that defensive backfield. That's young. They're talented, but they're young and inexperienced. 
So again, there's, there's some opportunity there and I'd like to see us come out of the gates and keep that defense on their toes and, and try to stretch the field, whether that's with Jalen McMillan or Puka Nakua, Ty Jones, whoever it yep. might be. Let's just make sure that they keep that in the back of their head that we're willing to take those deep shots and hopefully open up some of the running game in doing so. But with this young secondary, there's going to be chances, there's going to be opportunities, and hopefully, unlike last week, we'll be able to connect on one or two of them that can really change the momentum and shift the momentum in our favor on Saturday. Yeah, for sure. And if I was to add a fourth key to the game, I will tie it back to that that third down conversion stat that we saw from Utah last week. They obviously were very poor in that, and that's something that UW and Dylan Morris in particular has excelled at this year. Absolutely. This third down, third down situation. So if we're able to convert third down like we have been, I think that's also a, a very strong indicator towards us having a successful day against Utah. Um, before we get into our predictions, I also want to note, I really want to get through one game without a Puka drop. Can we get one game without a Puka drop? If it's going to be any game, it's going to be against his older brother, you know, little, little bros come into play. So for sure, if we are going to go with, you know, a Puka drop free game, this seems like it it could be a good one for that to happen. But I agree with you, especially on these third down. For sure. You know, he's just turning his eyes downfield a little bit. Yeah, he's trying to make a play. He's trying to make a play. I get it. And, but he's, he's too good. He's too good. Yep. He's too good. And he's, he's, even though he's only a sophomore, he's too much of a leader in that position group for him to not be catching that ball pretty much every time. So, right. Um, so yeah, and he's he's got great hands too. I mean, he's he's arguably got the best hands on the team, and he's he dropping the ball. So that's just not not something that we're I think we're gonna be accustomed to seeing from Puka. I think it's just a couple kind of weird, weird fluky things early in this season. So I think Kate Otten might want a word with you after this podcast in terms of best hands on Dude, the team. Dude, uh, I okay, that's fair. That's fair. I mean. Your point, your point is still valid. I'm, it I don't gets say me that all to hot discredit. and bothered, man. Yeah, I know. I don't. I don't say that to discredit your point, but Kate has got some. He's got he some nice really hands good. on him. He yeah. looked really. He looked really, really good last week. Yeah, and again, another name. I mean, I can't believe we go the whole podcast without his name creeping up, but he is just an X factor in everything that he does. For sure. You know the unheralded blocks that he's had in this season already have been magnificent, obviously keyed in big time into the passing game last week. So I'd imagine that he'll pick up where he left off and whatever he's asked to do, he's going to excel in it. And just one of those kind of players, you want 11 of them on each side of the ball. And they have a, they have, they have a combined two starts between their three, their nickelback free safety and strong safety. So, uh Oh, he going to be get some opportunities, I think. And I mean, if it seemed like he and Dylan had some good chemistry last week and I fully anticipate them doing that again, not necessarily, not maybe not to that level of last week against Arizona. Like, I mean, the seven catches for hundred yards and a touchdown is pretty solid from a tight end. I mean, that's, it's about all you can ask for from a tight end, especially when, when he's, in there for all the run run blocking and everything as well. But um, 
I would I would definitely anticipate Cade being a part of this offense again in this game for sure. For sure. So let's jump into our predictions. I'll I'll yep. go first. So sure. I do think that UW will win this game rather handedly. I'm predicting a score of 36 to 16. A similar spread about as what we saw last week against Arizona. With that being said, obviously Arizona scored all their points against our backups in the fourth quarter. I don't imagine that being the case this week against Utah. I think the game will feel a bit more competitive than last week. Mm-hmm. And Utah will make a play or two here or there. They'll score some points. But I really do think that we're the superior team top to bottom. And, you know, it's hard. It's hard. We go through the, you know, I felt pretty good about this score prediction at the beginning, but we go through spotlighting Whittingham and, you know, previous matchups with Utah. And it's hard to predict a 36 to 16 win just based on history. But I think, yeah if we're going to win a, a big game against them any year, I feel like the opportunity is out there for us to do it on Saturday. And I think when it comes to the keys of the game, I expect Jimmy Lake will have these guys fired up rear and to go. We'll be playing a physical brand of football that we've already been seeing so far this season. I do think that we'll be able to successfully put pressure on Bentley and force some errant throws, mm-hmm. get some good looks for our DBs who have been relatively quiet this season. Yeah. I have. think there'll be some interceptions out there for them to take. And then I really just really am hoping that we'll connect on a deep ball to whoever is on the, the receiving end of that. I would just love to see Dylan Morris hit an awesome deep ball if only for his progression, you know, we've seen him take a big step from game one to game two. And I think if he could just hit, you know, in stride and open wide receiver for a 50 plus yard touchdown would just be, you know, the nail in the coffin in terms of the kind of quarterback that we think that he, he is and, and can ultimately be. So I think, you know, going through our keys of the game, I anticipate that the advantage is definitely leaning in the Huskies favor. And I do think that we'll, get out of our third game of the season with a victory 36 to 16. I like it, Sam. I like your positivity. And um, I echo that. I, I do think we win this game. I don't necessarily echo that it's going to be so handily. I think, um, I think it's comfortable throughout. I think we're ahead by, you know, one, like seven to 10 points probably throughout most of the game. And we end up on top 24 to 13. I don't think we quite have as successful of a day offensively. I do think a lot of their mistakes on defense were, um, and them giving up 33 points to USC last week, which honestly isn't, isn't like, isn't that bad. I mean, USC is a good offense. Um, a lot of the, a lot of that was a product of short fields from them turning the ball over. That's true. They, didn't tackle super well, especially in the secondary. And I think they'll clean that up. I think they'll, they'll be a lot better at that this next week. And um, again, just a young secondary. So um, I think, I, th- I do think that they, they improve though. And I think we do ha- have some struggles against, against Utah's, Utah's defense, just because that's, that's Kyle Whittingham's mainstay. That's his baby. Um, so I don't, I don't see us putting up you know, 30, 30 to 40 points against this Utah team. That being said, I think our, our defense shuts them, shuts their offense down pretty, 
pretty good. And like Sam said, I think we get some pressure on Bentley and we get some turnovers and um, I, I don't see any major advantages so long as we're able to control the game and the ways that we foresee this team controlling the game. I think we control game clock again. I mean, we've been winning that super handily through the first two games, like right. something like 37 to 23, as far as minutes in the game, it's been pretty big disparity between our ourselves and our opponents. So I, I think, I think this will be closer, but I think we do win the, the time of possession as well as the turnover battle. And I think that ultimately leads us to winning 24 to 13. I think we're just a little bit too talented for Utah to compete with us um, on a, on a full game spectrum. I want, I want to add one prediction to this real quick though. And I'm going to let you go first, but I'll, I'll, I'll pose the question here. What is your prediction for like the biggest play of this game? Can be offense or defense, obviously. Yep. I think we will have a strip sack, fumble mm-hmm. recovery, return for a touchdown. And if I have to get specific. Yeah, you got to call it players. I think it'll be Savelle Smalls with the mm-hmm. strip sack. Nice. And Kyler Gordon Ooh. coming in on a DB oh. blitz, scoop and score. Oh, that would be so good. How you like them apples? Oh, I felt really good about mine, but that's so good. <laughs> What's yours? Um, mine's a little more simple, I guess. I see a Trent McDuffie pick six in this game. Yeah, I can see I that think, too. I think he hasn't really gotten a lot of balls thrown his way this year yet yeah hardly at all um i mean he's a true elite corner obviously in a cover corner and but i mean if that ball's in the air we've obviously seen how he can move in that in those punt returns and if he gets his hands on one and is able to intercept a pass you know he's looking for six and i think with a guy like jake bentley and a start that he didn't foresee happening and Again, with our ability to get to the quarterback and cause some havoc in the backfield, I think there's going to be an opportunity possibly for him to get get a pick. And again, if he gets that pick, I think there's it's like legitimately a 50-50 shot. I think he houses that pick. Yeah. I mean, watching him on that punt return, I don't I don't doubt it. He's got some wiggle to him. For sure. All right, Sam, let's uh we didn't get to talking pro dogs on our last episode. So let's talk some pro dogs from this last, last week in the NFL week 11. I think it was, I think so. A um, little bit of a quieter week though. Um, I know you did some, some research when one of the guys that you've, I know is one of your, one of your favorite corners that we've had in recent memory on the Huskies. And I know you want to give him a shout out. So he came back from injury this last week for the Packers. Go ahead and talk about your boy. Yeah. So Kevin King, he's been on the sidelines for, if not all the majority of the season so far. He played like two or three games and then he got injured. Yeah. So he came back and he ended up with seven tackles from his corner position, which is Hmm. A really nice game from him, especially coming back from an injury, getting in on some physical plays, making some yeah. tackles. Happy to see him healthy. And the Packers are going to be a playoff team. So for sure, he can kind of get back into the swing of things. I think he's a difference maker for that defense. And with 
as high scoring of an offense as Aaron Rodgers and that Packers offense has been. He's going to get his chances to make some plays and hopefully, you know, I'm not a Packers fan by any means, but I am for sure a Kevin King fan and love to see him and his team do well as long as they're not playing the Seahawks. (laughs) I think having him back in the fold will be a boost to that defense and I expect to see him making some plays down the stretch here as, as we're entering into the deep fall, early winter playoff football world. Yeah. And just happy to see him healthy. He's definitely a difference maker for them. And I expect some big plays from him in the upcoming weeks. Seven tackles is an awesome way to kind of, you know, jump into the deep end, so to speak, in terms of coming, coming back from being away from, football for a handful of weeks and again being a quiet week not a lot of pro dogs making much noise but the other call out doesn't doesn't swing too far away from kevin king still in the (laughs) defensive backfield i'll let you take him away yeah desmond trufant had another really good game for the lions um a couple pass deflections and he got another pick i think that was in the end zone too so yep that corner of the end zone Obviously a big, big play for the Lions, albeit a very struggling team against the Lions. They just came off of a tough loss to the Texans yesterday in, in Thursday night or uh, in, uh, on Thanksgiving on again. Yeah. Against it was against the Texans. I think Deshaun Watson. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, I should honestly look up and see how he did in that game, but I know in, in um, the, the, game before that and with the week 11 game he had a good game yep so, i noticed also that danny shelton got injured in the game against houston he yesterday. did he did and actually i think i think desmond actually might have gotten injured too it was like it, it was literally two guys from uw i can't it might have been marvin hall i can't remember um let me look down here Yeah, Danny Shelton only finished with one tackle, so I think he did get injured. I'm not sure on Desmond. He, oh, actually, his name is right here. Where was it? Yeah, just one tackle. I think he did get injured. I'll look that up. Um, I know that Savelle, or sorry, <laughs> not Savelle Smalls, Savelle Ahmed. Savelle will be in an NFL uniform it's someday. True. Not it's quite. True. Yeah, Desmond did leave the game with a hamstring injury, so. I think wow. he he ended up going out like halfway through the years or halfway through the game. So obviously had a good week 11, but um, in week 12 on Thanksgiving, he did get injured. So kind of sucks that he's back on that injury injury. Yeah, train I think again. he was out with a hamstring earlier in the season. So that's yeah. not good. Not a good look. Not good. Um, yeah. Sidney Jones is inactive. He's obviously had some good weeks. I don't, think there was really anything else to note Um, no i think buda baker had a relatively quiet game i think he had five or six tackles i also noticed that drew sample got in on a couple of receptions nothing to write home about but he's you know carving out a nice role for himself in that Bengals offense you know one to three catches a game kind of tight end and Mm -hmm. really has established himself as a solid blocker on Sundays so he's getting a lot of snaps for sure and Absolutely. a lot of them are a lot of them are in a blocking role but he's getting he's getting some looks in the passing game as well um I will note Selvan Ahmed's um uh stat line here he did 
he led the Dolphins again with 43 yards on 12 carries. And then also had, um, he had six targets in the past passing game, five wow. catches for 31 yards. So um, just, you know, another, another strong day for a UW running back that was undrafted and is getting an opportunity down in Miami with some of the injuries that, 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 that they have down there, uh, including Miles Gaskin. So good to see Selvon, you know, making, making some hay and being a big part of that Miami offense um, and a team that's probably going to make the playoffs. So good for, yeah. good for Selvon. And Miles should be coming back off of his injury. I think it was just a couple weeks. So yeah, it was a- whether or not he'll be back in the lineup this weekend or not, I'm not totally sure. But once he does come sure back, either. you kind of have the two-headed dog monster in Gaskin and Savon. So it'll be fun to see what they can do in Miami together with Tua in the backfield. It could be exciting to see what that Dolphins team can do. It's been a fun team to follow. Obviously, Connor and I following more from a, a Husky allegiance than anything, but they've been the best friend, as we've noted before, to the Seattle Seahawks and knocking <laughs> off the other NFC West teams. So if I had to pick, you know, my second favorite team this year, it's without a doubt Miami Dolphins have been a fun team to watch. So if you get a chance, tune in and catch a few pro dogs in action. Yeah, for sure. And then, yeah, with that said, um, if you're at this point in the podcast, folks, you should probably probably hit that subscribe button or that follow button, whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, obviously subscribe if you're on listening on Spotify, follow us. And um, like we've always said, leave a leave a message through that anchor anchor app link that we always have in our descriptions of our episodes. Love to interact with our our listeners and want to get a good Q and A session going in on on here once we kind of get a good following. So please please leave us messages and it can be anything related to obviously this podcast has mostly been dedicated to Husky football just because that's what Sam and I's wheelhouse is, at least at this moment right now. We like talking other Seattle sports and we want this to be a Seattle sports centric podcast. So we'll talk about anything Seattle sports. Um, but until we get a lot of feedback from our listeners, we're at least in this instance right now going to probably focus on what is in season and what we want to talk about right now is Husky football, just be it with COVID times, the delayed season where Sam and I have our history as far as kind of our friendship was revolving around Husky football as well. So that's what we enjoy. And um, it's, it's obviously that, that, this, this podcast is something that Sam and I enjoy doing and it's really, it's really for us. Like we, we, we want to, we, we like, and we enjoy doing it, just talking to each other and bullshitting about sports in general. But um, obviously anyone that's listening, we appreciate all everyone that's listening that that isn't to undermine that at all and appreciate all the support that you guys have given us and want to make this something that we can do for a long time and uh the more that you guys support us and interact with us um now will lead to us being able to be more successful in the future at at promoting this podcast on a on a bigger scale um sam i don't know if you had anything else to say about the podcast just in general but those are kind of my feelings about it we'll bullshit with anybody yeah we love to talk ball so reach out to us and let us know your thoughts. We'll always be welcoming to any type of Seattle sports related conversation. So please hit us up. 
Yeah. And it's obviously Thanksgiving. And I, I know I'll speak for you, Sam, but I know that I'm extremely thankful for this podcast platform as young as it is only 11 episodes in now. Just uh, it's a really nice bit of just a little bit of normalcy in a I life and a, a year that's been very tumultuous for all of us and a lot of adversity thrown everyone's way and a lot of just weird weird vibes out there right now obviously with with everything going on in the world um but this has kind of been my rock over the past you know month or so that we've been doing this and it's it's been a it's been a really good thing i've i've enjoyed doing it and i hope that you have too sam oh absolutely i'm thankful for you thankful for the podcast and god damn it i'm thankful for husky football so go dogs <laughs> on that note go dogs <laughs>